following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Well, if you're new with us, my name is Dave York. I'm the senior pastor here. Thanks for joining us. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And today we're going to start our third week of Advent. And I think we got that on the screen. So Sarah, can you pull up that graphic for me? Uh, it's the one on joy. There it is, right? So we've lit the pink candle today. So you can see that uh, because we can't light real candles here. So Josh Stellars has once again served us well. So today we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at the, the, the title of joy this week. In the last two weeks we've looked at hope because we live in a world that it just feels like hopelessness seems to reign. We've looked at peace because I don't know about you, um, but anxiety and fear seems to reign in our hearts. And today we're going to look at joy. That's the pink candle. Pink was uh, the symbolism of joy and celebration. So that's what we're doing today. Now, one of the most famous phrases in the Declaration of Independence, you will know this, is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is literally in the DNA of the American people that happiness is to be sought after. And we should seek it. But what is fascinating if you do any type of mingling around town or in our culture or in our world, you're going to find that while that is true, people are generally very unhappy. If you were to do a simple Google search of this phrase, why am I unhappy? You will get 3.9 billion hits. If you did another Google search of how to be happy, you will get 7.5 billion hits. These simple searches reveal something about us. Happiness is a goal, and we are falling terribly short of it. Now, what's interesting about happiness and joy is something that might surprise you. God, the God of the universe, actually wants you and I to be filled with joy. There's a popular Christian attitude that ran through the world when I was growing up, and some of you might remember it. I repeated it when I, when I became a young preacher until I began to realize it may not be completely accurate. And it's this little phrase, maybe you've heard this before, God cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness. God cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness. And it sounds spiritual, but it is partially true. And here's why. Because it sounds like, if you take that phrase, it sounds like holiness is an obstacle to happiness. And it sounds like that if you're holy, you can never be happy. But what if I were to say to you something that I think we can find in the Bible? I think God wants both. I think God is concerned about your joy, your happiness. I think he's concerned about your holiness. We're actually commanded to be holy, and we're commanded to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. And what we like to do with the words joy and happiness is we like to do these parsing of the words and say, well, that's not really the same thing. But in reality, when you dig deeper into stuff, you're going to find joy is an internal state of happiness. It's an internal understanding that things are to be looked ahead to and looked back upon with joy, with happiness. And that's what I hope we will see this morning is that God, God has made a way for us to be eternally joyful. So if we're commanded to be happy and we're commanded to be to rejoice, why are we always pursuing it? We're going to see this morning, Lord willing, that the only way to have eternal, everlasting joy is through Jesus. That's the only way this can happen. So here's the big idea this morning. It should be on your outline. When you walked in the door, you got an outline. Here's the big idea. Jesus' birth is the dawn of everlasting joy for all who trust in him. 
Jesus' birth is the dawn of everlasting joy for all who trust in him. See, do you look back at objective moments in history where God has worked to, to say things to yourself like, why am I without joy? Jesus has come. I say to myself often, and I say to others, people will ask me many times, like, hey man, how you, how you doing today? And I say, well, things could be much, much worse than they are. I remind myself regularly that these moments of Jesus' coming are the reason for my joy, my peace, my hope. And I say those things out loud to myself, right? Uh, my wife will say to me, are you talking to yourself again? I'm like, yeah, I actually am talking to myself again. And many times I'm doing it because I'm reminding myself of these truths. The big idea, Jesus' birth is the dawn. It's the moment when the sun first comes up to just shine upon your soul to give you the hope of everlasting joy as you trust in him. As we look at this today, we're going to look at it from four different points. These are in your outline. We're going to look at the origin of joy, the loss of joy, the coming of joy, and the pathway to joy. And what I want us to see is that this everlasting joy can only come from an eternal God. You cannot have everlasting joy without being connected to an everlasting being. And his joy, God's joy, is something that we can all experience. That's what I hope we're going to see today. The text in Luke that we read a moment ago is about moment about when the famous shepherds were out doing their business, minding their own business, doing shepherding sheep, and the angel of the Lord shows up and declares to them something about Jesus' birth. And I want you to notice and just draw your attention to verses 10 through 12. The angel said, I bring to you... Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And notice the sign of that good news of great joy. It's Christ, the Lord, is born in the city of David, and you'll find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. When you read this text, you should be asking yourself a question, and the question would be this, why... Is Jesus' coming the sign of good news of great joy for all people? Why is that? And if that is true, why are we experiencing so little of it? So let's start with the origin of joy. Where does joy come from? We know from the Bible that the Godhead is <clears throat> comprises of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're three in one. Um, the you know the doctrine would be called the doctrine of the Trinity for those of you that are theologian types. They are perfect in unity, perfect in love, and perfect in essence, perfect in will. They are three different beings with three different job descriptions, doing three different things, yet perfectly together, one. That's why Jesus could say, I and the Father are one. Or Jesus could say, I am, and the soldiers would fall back because he's declaring he's one with the Father. They're, they're one in counsel and mind and will. But what you may not know about the Godhead is that the Godhead is the happiest place on earth, not Disneyland. That the Godhead, in the Godhead, they are perfectly happy and full of joy. The Bible gives us some pictures of this. We don't get a fullness of it because you, no book could contain the fullness of who God is because he's God, right? I mean, so the Bible gives us enough revelation to make us see how this is seen and what is going on in heaven. Robert mentioned this a few weeks ago. Psalm 16 verse 11 tells us that in in God's presence is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. 1 Timothy 1.11, as Paul spoke about the truth of the gospel, notice how he described the gospel as, listen to this, I love this phrase, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. 
The term blessed means happy, full of joy, full of satisfaction. In Paul's mind, God is happy and he is full of joy and that's connected to his, his glory that when his glory shows up, there is, there is fullness of joy. We know that when God created the world in Genesis chapter one, that God saw all that he created as good, meaning he took delight in what he had done. He was satisfied with what he had done. He found joy in what he had done. And we see this joy of relationship in a very unique way in Jesus's life. When Jesus, just after meeting the woman at the well in John chapter 4, his disciples come to him and offer him something to eat. And Jesus says something really fascinating. He said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus isn't saying there, I eat the will of God. What he's saying is, no, y'all all love food and you find your joy and satisfaction in food. I find my joy and satisfaction in doing the will of God. That's what fills me up. Jesus found great delight in doing what God the Father willed. Now from these texts of scripture, we see something about the Godhead. There's more, but this is just a sampling that there is joy in this relationship. There's joy in the Godhead. We can say that God is the origin of joy. He's the author of joy and he is full of joy. See, inside the heart and the mind of God, we find eternal joy. We could say that God, the happy God, is the source of joy. Now, just, just for a minute, I just want to ask you a question. And don't answer this out loud. Is that how you see God? Do you see him as the happy God? Do you see him as the full of joy God or do you see him as a tyrant? When I was a young minister cutting my teeth in ministry, I had this thought that God was never satisfied with anything I did. And he was waiting all the time to just discipline me. But he did it in his love. And I saw him with a scowl on his face. Is that how you see the God who described himself as eternally long-suffering and full of joy? I begin to see that my understanding of who God is was off by quite a bit. And I would bet that most of us in the room see God like that, like he's scowling at us. He's at least mildly impatient. And he, I bet you feel like he's always frustrated with you. This morning, I hope that God will free you of that. Is that how you see God? Now, the reason why this is important is because when you understand how God is, you can understand how he made you. Because in Genesis, we're told in Genesis 1.26 that God made us in his image. So keeping with the same joyful motif... What would this tell us? It would tell us that God made us as humans to be full of joy. Our joy is found in being made to represent God in this earth as joy-filled creatures. Not with some sappy grin on our face, but genuine joy filling us, right? And there's no other creature on earth that has been made with this ability to have joy like God and joy in God. Your dog may bring you happiness, but your dog was not created in the image of God like this. The Godhead is the fountain of joy, and he created us to be filled with joy, the joy that is found in the Godhead. That is simply stunning news if you think about this. That that what goes on in the Godhead, God gave us, created us, with the ability to have the same joyful response to this world that he has. Wow. Now just think about this, though. This universe would be filled with joy without the existence of any of us. I mean, it's true. You know why? 
Because God is there. God did not make us because joy, you know, because God had a hole in his joy bucket. You know, it was dripping out. He's like, I gotta fill that. I'm gonna make me some humans. Or that God was missing something. Or he, he needed to make us because God needed a friend. No, 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 no. God is perfectly satisfied in being God. <laughs> perfectly joyful in being God. If there's no human, no planets, no stars, God is full of joy. And yet, he created us to experience his joy. So that when God looks upon the stars and he says, it is good, that when we look upon the stars, we go, wow, it is good. See? This this dynamic of joy that God has created us for, see? So, So let's get our understanding of the origin of joy correct. Now this is important for you right now, and here's why. Because you have a world and a culture that is telling you that believing in Jesus is a killjoy. It tells you that following God is no fun. <laughs> Here's a question for you. What would the Bible tell you? The Bible would tell you that you have a God of the universe who is the happiest being in the universe, and you cannot find happiness outside of that being. Think about that for a moment. So the question is, if God made us this way, and God is the origin of joy, then why don't we have it? Well, that's our second point, which is the loss of joy. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3, and we noticed it was a watershed moment in humanity. In that chapter we read of Adam and Eve eating of the forbidden fruit and sinning against God, and guilt entering the world for the first time, as well as our conflict with God. And with it came the loss of joy. Here's how you can picture this, all right? Just kind of put it in your mind. If you're an Avenger fan, you know what the Bifrost is, that Bifrost Bridge, right? You can visualize sin broke the Bifrost Bridge, all right? Those of you who don't know what that means, just put it this way. Sin broke the bridge that connected us to the Lord, right? And all our Gen Z's and millennials are like, thank God he gave me an analogy I can understand, right? And the adults are saying, Bifrost, is that what's on my meat in the freezer? No, it's not, okay? (laughs) The bridge to eternal joy is shattered because of our sin. And what we lost was the ability to have lasting joy. So listen, here's what happens. Joy is lost when sin enters the room. Because sin separates us from the source of eternal joy. So we gotta get that in your understanding. Now a great example of this is in the early pages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4. Where Cain, Adam and Eve's oldest son, brought an offering to God that God did not accept. And Abel, the second son, presented an offering to God that God accepted. Notice what we're told about Cain. This is this is absolutely monumental and fundamental about how you see your life and your world. We're told that Cain became angry. And that his face fell. That doesn't mean his face fell off. It means he was sad. Uh, To use our vernacular in our culture today, he was depressed. And Cain's sin is what brought the lack of joy. And it came from a broken relationship with God and disobedience caused this. But look at the remedy. Look what God said. Cain... This is the remedy. If you will do what is right, in other words, bring me the right offering, I will accept it, implying that he would no longer be sad. Nobody wants to hear your sadness could be caused because of your disobedience to God. 
We all want to hear it's something other than our disobedience because we don't have to take ownership of it. God calls Cain to take ownership. If you do what is right, your face will be lifted. You won't be angry anymore. You'll be full of joy. But notice the caution, Cain. Sin is waiting to pounce on you. Its desire is to dominate you and rule you. You don't have to do that. Now we know from the story what happened, don't we? Sin mastered Cain and he killed his brother. And if you know Cain's story, you'll know this. Cain became one of the saddest humans to ever walk the face of the earth. In this little story of Cain and Abel that we sometimes look at for the dangers of anger and jealousy, we find something fascinating. Joy is lost when sin enters the room because it separates us from God. You can see that in this example. When Adam sinned in the garden, the dominion of sin over the human heart came in with it. And in that moment, we lost the approval and acceptance of God. And with that, we lost the source of joy. We lost the bridge that connected us to the eternal, everlasting source of joy. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I heard of a minister who once said that a Christian lost nothing by his sin and then added, except his joy. Well, what else could he, could you have him lose? Is not that quite enough? To lose the light of my father's countenance, to lose my full assurance of my interest in Christ, is to lose my best and purest delight. And is this not a loss quite great enough? See, without a right relationship with God, we cannot have lasting, everlasting joy because we're disconnected to the source of everlasting joy. We might have temporary fleeting moments that make us smile and laugh and giggle a little bit, but something lasting or eternal is impossible because our sin has broken the bridge to everlasting joy. If God is the origin of joy, our sin has broken our connection to it. Now, friends, let's be straight here. The loss of lasting joy is why people are longing for it. It's why we had to write it in the Declaration of Independence. Because our founders knew we have a right to pursue this, but we don't have it. It's why people self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. It's why we try to escape to entertainment or shopping or chocolate. See, joy is lost, and here's what the deal, we know it. We know it. So you you can walk into church all day long and somebody greets you and you say, and they ask you, how are you doing? You go, I'm doing great. And you're not. And here's the thing, you know it. And the tendency of the heart is because we know it, we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We're going to try to cover it. So we search and we long for it and nothing can satisfy our thirsty hearts. We continue to get to the end of these moments of joy. They're always fleeting. That's what makes the angel's declaration in Luke 2 so astounding and shocking. So let's look at the third point, which is the coming of joy. Let me go back for a second. If you understand that God is the source of eternal, everlasting joy, and you know you're not having eternal joy, your response to that will reveal to you what you really believe about that God. So just think about that. If it's towards self-medication, you don't believe that God is the everlasting source of joy. You believe something else in this earth is going to give you that. And you find at the end of that drunken stupor, at the end of that high, at the end of that hit, at the end of that one night stand, that that joy is not there. That's why Luke 2 
is absolutely critical to understanding joy. Again, when you look at Luke's comments, let's remind ourselves of what he said. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Now, just set the moment here. Here's an angel. Where do angels reside? In the presence of God. Where there is what? Everlasting joy and pleasures forevermore. And he comes from heaven and declares good news of great joy. The joy that this angel knows and has experienced is something we all want to have. And we have lost because of our sin. And this angel comes and says, hey, I'm bringing you good news from the very place where there's the greatest news ever and where there's pleasures everywhere. Because he knew what joy looked like and he knew, listen, joy was coming. But notice something about this joy. It's found in a person. See, we've seen this in our study of hope and we've seen it in our study of peace. Hope is found in a person. It's not in a state of mind. <clears throat> it's not when all the stars finally lie or karma is on your side. It's not when there's a full moon out. It's not found in making yourself smile every day or putting a, you know, a mantra that you say every day in your life to try to manifest joy in your life that you might have heard from a self help guru is going to help you get to joy. Joy, according to Luke, and the angel who's in the presence of joy says to you, joy is found in a Savior. Joy is found in Christ the Lord. Joy is found in this baby wrapped, this baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. This angelic statement indicates that with the coming of the Savior, there is the coming of great joy, and it's the same joy that they're experiencing in the heavenly realm. That is stunning news. The joy we lost in the Garden of Eden that we've longed for since the day we ate of the forbidden fruit comes with Christ crashing into this world, being wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, in a place where animals do their business. That's what has come. How how can this baby, this Savior, Christ the Lord, be good news for all people? Well, if sin severed the bridge that separated us from God, the source of lasting joy, according to the Bible, Jesus has come to restore that completely. As if it had never been broken. And provides a way for us to be made right with God. Like Adam before us, Jesus represented God for us. But unlike Adam before us, Christ never ate of the forbidden fruit. He never sinned against God. He perfectly obeyed God. He innocently, innocently took the guilt and punishment that we deserved. And the only way to restore our relationship with God is through a sacrificial human death on our behalf. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cruel cross. And when he took our sin as if it were his own, we're told in Mark 15 that he took the joyless path of being forsaken by God when he declared the worst words in in history of the universe. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because this is the only moment in the history of the Godhead when God the Father and God the Son did not have joy in their relationship. Now just think about that for a moment. The Son of God, who experiences everlasting joy, pleasures forevermore, comes, gives himself on a cross carrying our sin, and the Father turns his back on him, forsakes him, Jesus took our sinful, joyless existence to the cross and died the death that we deserved. (laughs) 
And after his death, he was raised from life, raised from death to life, so that God, in that moment, God's saying, everything he did in his life and death, I approve of. Now, what's wonderful about this story is the simple offer of, if anyone believes in Christ, they are restored to God through Christ. What marvelous news. You do not have to take this cross. What marvelous news. You do not have to harm yourself anymore. You don't have to good work yourself to heaven because you can't. Because Jesus did it for you. And those who trust in Jesus as their Savior are restored to God. And the story tells us this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes came on a mission. You know what he came on a mission to do? Restore us to God and with that bring good news of great joy for all people that the way to everlasting joy has been restored. Friends, that's the wonder of the gospel. The restoration with God through Jesus is the only way we can be restored. If joy is lost when sin enters the room, listen, joy is restored when Christ shows up. I mean, do you, do you see the big idea? Jesus' birth is the dawn of everlasting joy for all who trust in Him. The, This is restoring you to the privilege of experiencing all that God has planned for you. This is is restoring to you the joy that is in the Godhead. What incredible news. The coming of great joy to all people is Christ. It's Christ. He's the only one who can restore us to the source of eternal joy. And he did it. He did it. By taking on all of our humanity, all of our sin, all of our separation with God, so that we might be restored to God. Now let's just take this a tad farther and look at our last point. The pathway then to lasting joy. How how then, if it's been restored, how do we get here? Because we're told in the Bible some really interesting things. Do a word study sometime of joy. You'll find some interesting verses. These are a couple that I picked up that stood out to me. Nehemiah 8.10 talks about the joy of the Lord is our strength. Think about that for a minute. As people were fighting against all odds, enemies abounded and they... Nehemiah says, the joy is the Lord's your strength. Or in Habakkuk chapter 3, they're told virtually that they're going to have, though all these things will happen, our sheep are gone, our fields are gone, our, you know, our flocks are gone, our harvest is done, the water dries up, no rain, yet we rejoice in the God of our salvation. My, my question is, how does this happen? I know you read your Bibles and you look at it and you go, okay, yeah, Bob, and you kind of read over it. You should be asking, how does this happen? If this is true, why is it when just this week, you know, our, our server at the table was not quick enough and I lost my joy? I don't know. Did you lose all the sheep of your field? Were you, was, was your child martyred? Why is it we lose our joy so quickly? Since sin separated us from the source of lasting joy, Jesus' coming is brings joy. It's impossible then to have everlasting joy without trusting in Jesus. And listen, this is for a believer and non-believer. Listen, believer, don't you get off the hook here saying to yourself, well, I've trusted in Christ. I did that when I was a child in Sunday school. No, no, no. This is a... Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. 
There is a today moment of trusting in the Christ. Listen, the way to God has been opened through Jesus. The way to being restored in our humanity is Jesus. You're aware, right? If you want to be a true human, the way to be a true human is to be restored to how God made you as a human and have the ability to live like that human. we got to start here. The pathway to everlasting joy begins by trusting in Jesus. It starts there. It's through Christ that we're forgiven of our sin. We're declared right with God. Heaven has been opened to us. The place where it's the happiest place in the universe. And Jesus died without the joy of God. Listen, so that we could have the joy of God restored. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never be. And in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, he says, listen, joy doesn't come by doing something miraculous. Joy comes by knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, you cannot have lasting joy without trusting in Jesus. So start there, right? Have you trusted in Christ? And you may say, Christian, go, yes, I am. Okay, then, Christian, are you finding your delight in the fact that God knows your name? That the God of the universe knows every hair on your head, and those of you who don't have hair, he knows that too, right? Or he knows all the hairs in your ears, okay? He knows that, right? Randy Alcorn wrote this. Joy, exultation, and happiness are proper responses to Jesus and the gospel, which tells us that in Christ... We are created by God, loved by him, redeemed, and dwelt with and empowered by his spirit and assured of an eternally happy and abundant life in his presence. What happiness is ours? That's why a gospel not characterized by overwhelming gladness isn't the gospel. A Christmas without a deep God-given happiness isn't reflecting the good news of Jesus. Now think about that for a moment when you walk into a church service and you don't want to sing. How can that be? You don't have to clap and be on rhythm. But something should be going in your heart that says, look at my name is known by God. Why would I not worship him? Wow. So not only do you you believe in Christ, maybe you're here, you've never trusted Jesus. Listen, we would beg of you before you leave here, let's talk. Get to know Christ. If you're a child of God and you're not experiencing this joy, you've got to ask, are you going back to the origin of your joy and just marveling that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life at all? That's why I say so often, people ask me, how's it going? What could be worse? You know what could be worse? Is my God in heaven could have never known my name. Now, next to trusting Jesus as a source of everlasting life, we should cherish him as a source of joy. Now, cherishing is going to look a little interesting to you. This might shock you. <clears throat> but when Jesus was on the earth, he was the most joyful person in any room he walked into. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that declares that Jesus' gladness was beyond those around him. Meaning, when Jesus walked into the room, he lit it up. I would love to have been in a room with Jesus. Just for a moment. He would light up the room with joy. Matter of fact, you know, if you know your Bible, his first miracle was where? At a wedding ceremony. And I'm always intrigued by what he did. He turned water into wine. And if you know what happens with wine, wine makes you laugh. He was at a celebratory dinner who ran out of wine and said, got to fix that problem. His most famous teaching is called the Beatitudes, which shows you how to live the blessed or happy life. Even in his death, the writer of Hebrews said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. The joy before him was, again, 
completing the Father's will for restoration and knowing what was coming at the end. His joy was to do the will of God. John Piper wrote, Jesus Christ is the happiest being in the universe. His gladness is greater than all the angelic gladness of heaven. He mirrors perfectly the infinite, holy, indomitable joy of his Father. Isn't that a great phrase, indomitable joy? Let me ask you this. Do you see Jesus as the source of your joy because he's the most joyful being in the room? See, cherishing Christ means you let Christ's joy compel you to joy. See, look to Christ. See, this tells you you don't need to self-medicate. No. You don't need to spend money to find joy. You don't need chocolate peanut butter ice cream. It's really good. But it always finishes because my kids eat it all, right? I mean, it's like... Where Christ is the source of everlasting joy. Cherish him. He's the greatest example of joy. And by his spirit indwelling you, what do you think his spirit is inspiring you to do? One of the fruits of the spirit is joy. So if you think being a Christian means you put on a drab face and you wear black clothes and you try to look mean so people can know that they're sinners... You are missing the boat, dude. That's not what you'd see in Jesus. Marvel at his joy and then follow it. Cherish it. Last thing. Trust Jesus. Cherish Jesus. But lastly, obey him. Remember, sin began to dominate the human heart when Adam ate the fruit. Christ came and broke sin's dominion and gave us the power to obey him. And in doing so, here's what he did. He gave us weapons back. Weapons for our joy once again. Remember my statement earlier, God's more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness? I would put it this way. God wants you to find happiness in the midst of your holiness. Because that's what God has for you. Obedience to God through the power of Christ brings us joy. We saw the opposite with Cain, did we not? Cain disobeyed, and what happened? His countenance fell. We saw the op- You'll see the opposite with Judas Iscariot. He disobeys God. 30 pieces of silver, thinks that's going to buy him something. And what does Judas do? We know the sad story. Judas went and hanged himself. <clears throat> but Christ restored us to the power and ability to obey God, and in turn restores our ability to receive God's joy in obedience to him. That's why you're told, and Robert preached on this, we're told often to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice always. And 1 Thessalonians 5, as Robert taught us, shows us this is the will of God for you. Meaning you don't have to go searching what is God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to rejoice always. And in Christ, you have been restored to rejoice always. But let me give you one last nugget of this joy and obedience I think will help you. John 15 is one of the greatest texts in the Bible about abiding in Christ as a source of life. In that text, Jesus said, if we abide in him and he abides in us and we bear fruit, we're glorifying God. In other words, his point is, as you abide in me, and you live in me, and I abide in you, you will obey me, and you're going to produce some fruit. And then he says something in verses 10 and 11 we cannot ignore. That if we abide in his love, by obeying him, doing what he commands, that his joy may be in us, and our joy may be full. Okay, now, just for a moment, here's what you have. The second person of the Godhead, God the Son, is telling you the way that you can experience once again what God had planned for you at the beginning. Does everybody see it? I'm not making this stuff up. One commentator said, this is Jesus' way of telling us how to be as happy as he is. 
If you want to be as happy as the Godhead, here's how you do it. You abide in Christ. He abides in you. You obey him. And in this text, in John 15, you come, we come full circle to the origin of joy. God is the source of joy. He made us to be full of joy. Sin destroyed the pathway to joy. Christ restored the joy of our salvation. And we are once again to be full of God's joy that's found in Christ. See, do you see it? John Piper once again said it this way. The the world knows nothing of this. Friends, none of your friends in the world who are non-Christians will understand this. This is the joy that is found in the Godhead. They know nothing. Our joy has infinite roots. It is a participation in the very joy of God in God. Is that not great news? The origin of joy is God. The loss of joy is our sin. The coming of joy is Jesus. The pathway to joy is to trust Christ, treasure Christ, obey Christ. And I think we've proved the big idea. Jesus' birth is the dawn of everlasting joy for all who trust in him. Listen, you may be here today listening online, watching later. And you realize you don't have joy because you haven't trusted Christ. Do not leave here today. Don't, I mean, look, send us an email. You need to know Jesus. You may be a Christian and you're realizing you've lost sight of the marvel of salvation and the wonder of grace. You might be struggling with joy. So I just, do you see Jesus as the, not only the greatest example, but the greatest empowerment to joy? Let me add this. You will never be as joyful as Jesus. That's why he came. I want to read to you one last verse of scripture to give you a glimpse of how your father is looking upon you right now. If you're a child of God, your God is not looking at you and saying, how dare you not be joyful? Zephaniah wrote these words. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty warrior who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Friend, run to your God right now. He is the source of everlasting joy that you have always longed for. You are more loved than you could ever imagine and more forgiven than you could ever dream. And there is joy waiting for you at his right hand. Let's pray. Father, what a gift is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. Father, I pray this morning for our non-Christian friends that are here, and I'm so glad they're here. Thank you for coming. Thanks for bringing them. Would you help them see that their disconnect to the source of joy is why they have none? Bring them to Christ. I pray for my Christian friends, and I, I know there's, there's, <clears throat> there are circumstances in this room that bring tears to our eyes. And I pray that you would lift up the head of your people. And let them be amazed that their Savior has come for them. (laughs) That when their Savior came, Jesus, you saw them. That when you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, that you were talking about them. That Jesus, you wrote their name.
in your book of life. (laughs) That sparrows fall to the ground and you see them and how much more valuable are your people. Remind them that grace is amazing enough And restore to them, Lord, the joy of their salvation. I pray this morning for Christians who lack joy and they know it and they know why. That it's it's sin. It's an, it's an area in their life when they know that they have sinned against you, they sinned against others. And I pray this morning that you would help them to make that right with you by confessing their sin to you and hearing you exult over them with loud singing. I pray that you would stop Christians from self-medicating this morning. I pray for you to deal with the sin of drunkenness and and the sin of drug addiction and any addiction possible. We're running rather than rather than going to our Father and being restored to the joy of our salvation. Help Christians today. Father, we we want to be joyful representatives of Christ in this earth. Marveling at the work of grace. So that all people might know this good news of great joy for all people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.